Morning, everybody. You guys doing all right? All right, let's give it up for Caitlin and her family again. Praise God, man. It's so awesome. It's so great. Um, before I get started in a sermon, I'm actually doing announcements, which I never do. So bear with me if I mess this up. All right, we've got some cool things happening. And what we're really excited about is that our Foothills campus, represented by you and many more um, right here, our Foothills campus is going to be starting monthly pop-ups. The first one is next week at 7 p.m. This will be happening at the Arcadia Community Church where we were before. And then in September, September 18, that will be at 11 a.m. And October 9 will be at 11 a.m. as well. Make sure you check the website and get all that information. A reminder that as of now, so for next week, I'm assuming... All indoor gatherings in L.A. are going to be masks, so we're going to need you to wear a mask when you go to that one. But we'll see what happens as things go. Here, we actually have a beach day coming up September 12th, so we're really early on announcing this. I have no idea why we're announcing this so early. It's like a month. You guys won't remember. But listen, we're going to go to Corona Del Mar, sometimes called Corona Del Avenus, because if you go there on Friday night, there's like nine Avenus groups that show up there. And I don't know why it is that they only show up on Friday night. You can go to the beach really whenever you want. So we're going on Sunday from 10 to 3. We'd like you to sign up online. The reason for that is we have 900 Big Franks left from our last beach um, trip. Yeah, which has been great for lunches for me, I'm not going to lie. But, um, but we want to make sure we've got a good count for who's coming to um, the beach. That's again September 12th. But the day before that, and this may be a little actually more important, we're doing a blood drive on September 11th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. We're doing this with a live stream blood bank, so please register online. You can go to our website and find it on our events calendar. We'd love to be able to really replenish the supply of blood in the Inland Empire. If we can do that, that would be great. If you don't want to give, go with somebody stronger than you who will hold you down, and then it should work out just fine, I think. Um, if you are a collegiate in college, we have a Future of Worship night happening next Friday night, August 20 at 7 p.m. in The Walk, which is our building over there. And so we would appreciate you guys coming to that. And if you know somebody who's collegiate, let them know about that as well and send them next Friday night. It'll be great. Pastor Andy will be there running that. So anyway, that's our announcements. Did I do okay? All right, all right. That's, that's so sad that I'm like asking for a pity clap on the way I did announcements. Let's, let's pray before we begin, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Um, Heavenly Father, listen, thank you so much for, um, for being the God who you are, a God that's worthy of worshiping, Lord. And um, we just ask that you be with us as we open up your scripture, as we continue to study the book of Galatians, and, and try as we might to understand the grace that you have given us, Lord. May we understand the width, the breadth, and the depth of it. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So this is week five, I think, in our contrast series, and Paul is beginning to repeat himself. And so you're going to say, Pastor Tim, this sounds a lot like the sermon you preached last week. Yes, and. There's actually a lot of different things going on, but some of the language sounds very much the same. And we all have people in our lives who repeat things over and over again. When my wife's grandmother was, I think, like 85 years old, she married a man who was older than her. And he was great, he was great, but when we would then go visit my wife's grandmother, my job would be to hang out with him because he was going to tell me the same stories that he had told me every single time, right? And it was sweet, and they were long, and that was my job. That was my, and I'd be like, hey, do you guys need help in the kitchen? And my wife would like be, no, go talk to George. 
and George was great. George actually had great stories. He was in NASA in the 60s and helped build the Atlas rocket. And so I know, I've heard that story enough. He was an engineer. I know that story enough that I could probably build an Atlas rocket by myself. I'm pretty sure. Um, maybe not. But anyway, we repeat ourselves for a lot of different reasons. And Paul is repeating himself. I mean, what's really going on with the repeating, right? And there's reasons that we repeat ourselves. Sometimes we repeat ourselves because we're getting older and we can't remember things. Um, and so be kind with people who are repeating them for those reasons. But one of the reasons why we repeat ourselves is that the mind is always trying to make sense of things. And when the mind has a hard time making sense of something, it really is is it's going to kind of work it out. And some of us don't have internal monologues, right? Some of you are very stoic and you think and you have these conversations with yourself and it's very internal and introverted and that's great. Some of us, I will include myself in this, have absolutely no internal monologue. So what you're hearing me say has not gone through the brain, has usually gone through the heart. That's why you'll hear me say something and think, was that wise? Because I'm thinking the exact same thing. Was that a good idea? And if you're not sure if it's wise or not, look at my wife when she's in service and she'll be like, no. Because she's got a phenomenal internal monologue and I wish I could use hers. But sometimes we're just trying to make sense of things. So we're saying it again and again. Like if the issue is unresolved. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why Paul speaks about grace and repeats himself about grace again and again is because he is trying to wrap his head around how big it actually is. And so he's saying it again, not just as a teaching tool, but also as a personal tool to remind himself that it's big. It's a big deal. Another reason why people repeat themselves is because of past instances or trauma. And those things have a tendency to replay in your head as well. Now, it's hard, trauma is the wrong word, right? For what happened for, to Paul on the road to Damascus, it's, it's, it's superlative, it's overwhelming. And in so some ways we can say him getting knocked off the horse and God speaking directly to him is trauma. And he keeps repeating that trauma because he knows that that's when his life changed. And so perhaps these, these, this trauma that he experienced in a good way, even though it was still pretty significant, right? He realized that what happened to him was shocking. And therefore he had to continue to repeat it again and again as he processed through, as he tried to make it make sense to him. Another reason that we repeat things is that we're trying to justify what happened. And I wonder if that's not happening a little bit in the book of Galatians, right? Paul is repeating himself because he's wanting to make sure that he's not to blame. So he's reminding them that I didn't teach you that. If you think what you're thinking, it's not because I taught you. So he's repeating it again and again to make sure that it wasn't his fault. And he wanted them to know that it wasn't his fault. But these questions are kind of real and they're, they're happening in his head. See, the reason that Paul was repeating is not really the issue, although it's interesting. What we take from the repetition is what's really important. And again, I used to think that Paul repeated himself because he just thought I was stupid. He just assumed I wasn't gonna get it the first time. And so he'd repeat it again and again. And I've, that's been a theme in my life. Many people have repeated things again and again because I'm slow on the uptake. But I think maybe Paul was dealing with some stuff himself reiterating the breadth and depth and width of the grace that he experienced. And I wonder, not that he had a hard time accepting it, but I wonder if he had a hard time understanding it so he kept repeating. And I wonder why it's so hard for us to trust in this grace that we've been given. Why do we have such a hard time believing that God is this good? and that his grace is this prevalent, this sustaining, this overwhelming. 
We repeat it again and again as well because it's important for us to know how important this actually is. So we're coming to chapter five, and I think chapter five is one of the, the most important chapters in Scripture. So as we say through the series, let us begin. And I love chapter five, verse one, particularly. The New Living Translation says it this way. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. The, the New International Version, which I preached out of for many years, says it this way. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Let us not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Right? And this yoke of slavery, it's interesting. A lot of people will say the yoke of slavery to sin, even though that's not exactly what Scripture says. A better one is slavery to the law. That's really what he's talking about. But we've had it translated as the yoke of slavery to sin. Pastors, preachers will just add that on because it makes sense. But that's not really what it is. However, there is something that we should think about. And I've said this three different times so far during this series. So I, this is something I'm repeating that I want you to understand. You are still under the burden. You're still under the yoke of slavery to sin when all you do is worry about sinning or when all you do is worried about not sinning. That is still means sin occupies way more space in your life, way more real estate in your head and your heart than it should. Because what Christ did on the cross is complete, it's full. And this is why Paul is saying, it is for freedom's sake, you have been set free. See, if Galatians is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, this has to be one of the key verses and if, for those of you who are language geeks, you know, Greek or English or whatever, it's the, it's the indicative followed by the imperative. Because Christ has set you free, absolutely do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to sin. And yokes are an interesting thing, and you probably know about them, but I'll just mention it, right? When, when especially in ancient Hebrew thought, often there were a lot of different schools of thought. We talked about this a little bit last week, like those rabbinical schools of thought where people would, you know, I follow, I follow the Rabbi Ishmael or I follow Rabbi Hillel or whatever. These were yokes that they would put on. This is the school of thought I belong to. And if you know a yoke, a yoke goes around an oxen, carries a cart, you want to have... Um, you know, it, it's, it's where you bear the brunt of the burden to pull something forward, right? But it's really an identity issue when we talk about a yoke. And so when Paul says, don't be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to the law, what he's saying is don't identify yourself that way anymore. Because what Paul is really telling us here, and we'll get back to yokes, but what Paul is really telling us here is become what you are, right? That is, he's saying this, Make visible in the earthly realm what God has already declared sealed in the divine verdict of justification for you. Paul is saying you have already been saved, live like it. You've already been forgiven, act like it. You've already been loved, function that way. Stop falling back into sin management. Stop falling back into the yoke of slavery of the law because the law doesn't matter anymore to you because you're living far beyond the law. You have superseded that significantly because you have gone beyond it because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is what he's saying in that little phrase. For freedom's sake, Christ has set us free and not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to the law. See, but the only way we can think that is if we believe in Jesus, the divine person of the Godhead, right? 
And that's important. Because what ends up happening sometimes is we, we love the idea of grace, but, but we forget about the grace giver. And when we forget about Jesus, something happens. Timothy George says it this way, when this indissoluble connection is downplayed or forgotten, that connection to the divine person of Jesus, the temptation of the Christian for the Christian is to lapse into legalism on the one hand or to libertinism on the other hand. And this becomes a serious threat to Christian freedom, right? And so you've got these two extremes and the way we stay away from those two extremes of legalism or libertinism is to simply remember Jesus. Because to lose the divine is to lose the heart of what we believe in. We don't believe in a dogma. We don't just believe in doctrine. We don't believe a philosophy or an idea. We believe in Jesus the divine person of the Godhead, Jesus in the flesh, salvation for us all. You can love grace, but if you forget the grace giver, it's going to get weird. And so you have to remember Jesus. And Paul is just so serious about talking to these Galatians. He says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. This isn't actually coming from anybody else now. Now we're getting serious because I'm going to speak directly to you. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. And he takes this on himself. It's nobody else. I'm telling you this. And by the way, this is the first time he connected circumcision directly to the Galatians. He's mentioned it before, kind of in general, and now he's bringing it directly back to him. And, and Josh, Josh, one of our worship leaders, Josh Estrada today, um, he, he says something that kind of has gotten in my head, and I apologize. Um, so think about this. Circumcision, obviously we're talking about Jewish rituals and, and being back under the law, but he was like, think about the practicality of that. If you make a call, is it like, is it like immediate circumcision? Because we do baptisms like that sometimes. We'll make a call for baptism and people are, yeah, I want to get dunked. Let's do it. Think about this now. <laughs> the logistics of who wants to get circumcised? And I know everyone, you're all like, is this funny? Is this funny? Yeah, it's funny. It's super weird. And I wish you wouldn't have put that in my head. So Josh, I'm not happy with you right now. <laughs> right? And my next slide is, why is this such a big deal? Um, which, uh, let me tell you why it's a big deal though. And, and we were talking about yokes before, right? The yoke, the identity that you put on and the identity that you carry with you. These Gentile Christians, they, they had pagan identity. Right? Whether it was Gnostic theology, whether it was straight up paganism, whether it was, you know, believing in the Roman gods or the Greek gods, whatever, right? When they shed that, when they became Christians, they shed that identity. They took off that yoke and that was no longer a part of it. But what would have happened in Roman society is that they would have been kicked out of their guilds and guilds were a big deal. It's kind of how they did business and it was your social club and all that type of thing, right? So that's, you, you, you shed that identity and you kind of became a no one. And now there are these new Christians and there's these Jewish Christians who still held on to their identity as Jews. And Jews were a known entity in the Roman world, of course. So it would have been attractive for a, for a Gentile Christian to say, well, at least I'll belong to this group that's recognized out in society rather than this brand new group that nobody's heard about. Because how weird is it to become part of a brand new religion that doesn't even have a name. They were just followers of the way at first. How, it would be hard to lose all that identity. 
And so Paul is saying, listen, don't put on another yoke. You got rid of the yoke that you had before. Don't put on another yoke. In fact, Paul wasn't interested in any yokes except the one that Jesus spoke of. And you know the one that Jesus spoke of? It sounds like this in Matthew 11, 29. He says this, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. And then the famous line, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is the yoke that Paul wants. So the question we ask for you today is this, what yoke are you interested in being under? Because every school of thought, every political party, every teaching has a yoke, a burden you carry with it. Some of you wave it around in the back of your truck. Some of you put it on bumper stickers. Some of you wear it on t-shirts. What is the yoke that you want to be identified with and that you're willing to carry? Because for Paul, there's one, that's it, it's Jesus. And that Jesus yoke supersedes any other yoke that you're gonna carry. You don't get to carry two. I'm gonna say that again so we hear it. You don't get to carry two yokes because one will always supersede the other. The only one you want to carry is the one that is light. It's the one that Jesus gives you. And when you put on other yokes, friends, it's not going to end well, regardless of how right you think it is. And I don't care what your beliefs are. I think there's one that supersedes them all. Paul continues, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. This is just like Galatians 3.10 that I talked about last week, right? You want to carry the yoke of the law? Good luck. It's heavy. And you better be really good at it or don't expect to be saved. It's just not going to go well for you. And then he continues, if you... For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. So when we're trying to make ourselves right, when we're trying to do everything right by keeping the law, we have been alienated from Christ. Have you ever ghosted someone? Don't raise your hands. Be like, yeah, because they might be in the room. (laughs) Have you ever been ghosted by someone? That doesn't feel good. Right? You don't want to be alienated from Christ. By the way, it's not Christ pushing you away. It's you falling away from God's grace. And this is scary. Right? And I've actually always appreciated the Seventh-day Adventist understanding of grace and free will. We have the ability to choose grace. But there are some traditions that say you choose grace, that's it. You can never step away. We, we, God actually, the way I understand it and the way that I was taught within this church is that, that God believes in your free agency and your decision to opt into grace. But if you desperately don't want it, you can step away as well. Now, the problem that we probably have had is that we've acted like losing grace is like losing a set of car keys, right? Where you're like, I think I was saved. I'm not sure. I had it somewhere here. Maybe, is it under the bed? I'm not sure. Now that's not okay either. Because Paul, when he says, for I am convinced that nothing can separate us, like that's, that's true too. So I don't think we, we fall out of grace that easily. But I'll tell you what, every time you decide that you're going to be so good that the cross doesn't matter, you're taking a step away. Because you don't want it. You'd rather do it yourselves. 
But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Okay, now we're getting to kind of a big theological word. We've talked about justification being made right with God. Now we're getting to the word sanctification. And I got to tell you, I've already heard from some of you out in, in, you know, the universe of Crosswalk that either watches or something, and you've been very concerned. You're like, hey, when are you going to talk about sanctification? You're talking about justification, being made right with God, but when are you going to talk about sanctification, being holy? Because that's what it means. Sanctification means being made holy, right? And, and I got to tell you, um, I think I learned it the wrong way when I was growing up. And I think many of us have, because this is the way it was taught to us, right? Justification is the point. When you accept Christ, you are made right with God. That's the point. And then sanctification is the work you do for the rest of your life. It's a line. That one's a point. This one's a line. Getting better and better and more and more Christ-like, more and more holy. That's how it was given to me. And um, I started working in church, and I began to realize, like, if that logic holds true, what it means is well, you're saved by the grace of Jesus. Christ, amen. And then over the course of your life, as you stay in grace, you will become better and better people, more and more Christ-like. And by the time you're old, you're going to be amazing. And then I started working in church. And I met some people who maybe didn't follow that exact line of logic. And in fact, some of the hardest times, the hardest conversations I've had are with really mean people who were really old. And I was like, I need to revisit this. So I began to read scripture again, and I began to study, and I began to realize that it's not a point and a line. It's a point and a point. What it means is that you are made holy by the gift of grace that you have been given, the gift of righteousness that you've been given. You are not holy because you got better and better at being holy. You may behave better because you're, you know, were a bad person when you were 20 and when by the time you were 60, like you learned some stuff, hopefully. Like, please, I'm almost 50. I think there's some of that. But, but, let me, let me see. I'll say it this way, right? Justification and sanctification always go together. But let me give you an illustration that might help you. And I did it with a million dollars in the first service and it just didn't take because apparently they're way greedier than a million dollars. So I'm gonna do 10 million, all right? If somebody gives you $10 million, you are rich. No? Jeez, you people, you're so jaded. If someone gives you $100 million, you are rich, amen? Amen. It's weird that some of you aren't sure at 10, but okay. I don't know. I'd love to see your pocketbooks and give more to the church, apparently. Good gracious. If someone gives you $100 million, you are rich. You are not rich because once you got $100 million, you started to become rich. You became rich because of the gift that was given. Therefore, you are justified by the grace of Jesus Christ and that righteousness has then sanctified you. You are holy because of what Jesus did. You are not holy because you grew. Right? And inevitably, I'm going to get an email, so I'm waiting for it. <laughs> Somebody's like, be careful. You're giving people freedom to do whatever they want. No. Listen, maybe I'm giving you freedom to grow in Christ yeah. rather than be so concerned about what you're doing every single day that you never, you never get off the ground right? And I'm not giving you anything. 
because I'm not God. It's God that gives the grace. And my hope is this, that when you are filled with that righteousness of God, that yeah, you don't just be holy, you act holy, right? You show love and compassion and grace and mercy. Those are the things that show up. And I think you will, because you know what? I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit works and functions and still innervates us in our lives. So enough said about that. Here we go. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is, take this phrase, if this is all you take from this week, this phrase, faith expressing itself in love. In fact, circumcision, as Paul says, becomes adoriferous, right? Or it's simply neutral. It doesn't matter anymore, right? And Paul says, listen, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Again, Paul thinking that there is no way they are doing this themselves. I think he goes, listen, it certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This is sarcasm, friends. He's like, listen, it's not, I don't know who did this, but it's not God. And then he says, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. In other words, bad, like, like almost truth can really mess up truth a lot, yeah. right? Almost, almost good theology is bad theology, right? Almost saved is not saved. Are we there? Yeah. So, so that's why we get this right, right? We talked about it, Christology, missiology, ecclesiology. That's why we, we spend so much time on Christiology and on soteriology, on salvation, theology, because it's important that we know this. And he's like, listen, it doesn't take a lot of you to mess up all of you, so stop it. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. And there's a threat there. Don't be concerned. Like, there's a threat. God will judge that person, and it's not going to be good. And then he goes, listen, I know it's not me, and this is him repeating again, I know it's not me because if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, because apparently there was some confusion or his name was being used in vain or his teaching was being used in vain, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, then no one would be offended. Fascinating that the cross of Christ was offensive in the first century to a new group of Christians. It still is. The cross of Christ is still offensive. Especially when you keep focusing on it and you make it bigger and you make people realize this is the apex of what you believe. It still offends Christians. Why is that? It shouldn't. Man, we should, we should live in its shadow. And then he says, <laughs> I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would just mutilate themselves. All right. He's mad. And I want you to know, this is a really weird place to stop. <laughs> like, I get that. But, I, in fact, I even thought about it when I was working on this. I actually thought, well, maybe I'll just do like two more texts so we don't leave with this taste in our mouth. But, but that doesn't really do, do the text justice because this is really a natural break in the text, right? Paul was mad, and finally he had, and I get the feeling like as he was writing this, I feel bad for a scribe, right? Because he started, he started speaking, and my bet is he got faster and faster, and he's writing faster and faster. And finally, Paul says, man, I just wish that they would circumcise themselves. <laughs> the guy's probably like, I'll, I'll make that a little better, 
right? This has been called the crudest and rudest of any Paul's statements, which absolutely it is. He's mad. He's angry. He lets his humanity come through. Righteous indignation, as they say. Here's what's interesting, though. In this whole pericope that we've been studying, this whole bit, portion of Scripture that we've been studying, the emphasis began in the very first verse. Are you ready to become what you are? That's what he wants to know. Are you ready to be the millionaire that you've become? Are you ready to function in that way? Why are you, step, why are you stepping away from the gift of righteousness, that justification, and that gift of holiness, that sanctification? that God has given you? Why are you stepping away from that? Why are you walking away when you are already saved, already forgiven, already justified, already sanctified, and never more loved than you have been right now? God's grace is good and it is overwhelming. And God becomes the champion of his people by what he did on the cross through Jesus. And he wants what's best for you. He wants you, to, he wants you to lean into that so you don't have to worry about the other stuff so that you can be free to love. Faith expressing itself through love. That's what Paul wants for you. That's what God wants for you. And that's what God wants for the world because all those words are these action words of what you can do with this grace that has been given to you. Express this faith and this grace that you have through the love that you give to others. And I mean, in today's contentious world, that means you're gonna have to try to love people you desperately disagree with. You're gonna have to try and love people that will always seem like they're way on the other side of the fence. And it's hard, man. It's gonna be easier for us to just step away and not get into those conversations because there's danger in those conversations. But you're free to have them in a different way than you've had before. One last story. In about 1955, the, uh, the novelist Henry Woke W-O-U-K, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, was visiting Israel and he went to see Ben-Gurion who had been the leader of Israel. It's now 1955, Ben-Gurion has retired. He's, uh, he's writing his memoirs. And um, if you know the history of Israel, it's been a difficult time. Ben-Gurion didn't have an easy time of leading that community. And so he invites Woke and his wife over to his house. They make a meal, they eat together. And Ben-Gurion over the years had been saying to Henry, listen, I want you to come live in Israel. And Henry was like, no way, man, no way. And so this time again, Ben-Gurion says, listen, I want you to come live in Israel with us. He's like, it's, it's the only place you can be free. And Woke says, are you kidding? We had to get here on an armored vehicle to get to your house. You've got sentries all around your house. There are guns everywhere. What do you mean this is the place to live? And, and Ben-Gurion said, oh, oh, I didn't say it was safe. I said it was free. This is where you get to express your freedom, right? Expressing faith through love is always gonna be dangerous, but it's what we're called to do. 
Because that's how other people begin to understand what grace really is, when we give in. So in our call to love well, we have to express our faith through love and through loving well. And if we don't, then what was it for? Why was it given to us? What is the responsibility of this yoke that you carry? It's easy, it's light, but it's there. And people can see it when you claim Christianity. So let's make sure at the end of the day, what we've done, as we've understood this grace that Jesus has given us, we've decided that we will express it most powerfully through the love that we give to others in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, just wanna thank you. Thank you for giving us the freedom that grace allows for. And Lord, while we would rather have comfort, send us into places where it's difficult to love, but then give us an extra portion of love so that this belief we have in you and this grace that we've received through you works its way out in the righteousness of love as we give it to others. And Lord, let us never be burdened again by the yoke of slavery to the law because that's too big a burden to bear and it stops us from really expressing love. So Lord, continue to grow us in your righteousness and your grace. Continue to, to build us up, but thank you for what you've already done, how you've already saved, already forgiven, already justified. And thank you for being our champion. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.